if we can make the soil like that Mother's Day buffet, then our plants are going to be happier. They're going to be more efficient and they're going to do better. And we'll be able to capitalize on these high prices versus the high fertilizer prices. Global shortages are causing farm input costs to skyrocket. A better way to farm shows you how to take control of inputs and maximize profits so you can farm the way you want. Now, from America's heartland, here's your host. A big thanks to each of you who have taken the time to review the podcast. As you know, moving forward, we're going to start featuring one review each week. And this week, our review comes from Low Price 001. And it says, best podcast for row crop. Appreciate the time and dedication that goes into this farming podcast. Great insights. We just want to say thank you, Low Price. We appreciate you. Hey everyone, Tyler here, field agronomist with A Better Way to Farm, where we spend each and every day providing solutions to farmers to grow better crops and to make more money. I hope that you're having a great day and we thank you for tuning in to our podcast. We appreciate the time that you give us, not only on this platform, but also on our Facebook page. Now, I'm really excited about this series on cover crops that we're doing and on today's episode is no exception. We've invited an expert from Illinois to share his tips and tricks and the wins and losses that he's had growing cover crops in his system. So I'd like everyone to, to welcome Brad to the show today. Thank you for joining us, man. How are you doing? I'm doing good, Tyler. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited. You know, this is one thing that I don't know a ton about cover crops, and I know probably enough when somebody asks me to be probably extremely deadly or dangerous. So I'm glad to get experts on, just like yourself, that can kind of walk us through where to start, what to look at. I know there's different blends, different varieties, different things that we can do. So why don't you just kind of start sharing a little bit about who you are and kind of your journey into this cover crop section, so to speak? Yeah, so uh, be very careful calling me an expert. I would not say that at all. So uh, that's very kind of you. But I have made plenty of mistakes and I've learned from those mistakes. So I would say my journey with cover crops started when I was 35. I'm 45 now, but I was 35. Dad passed away and mom handed me the checkbook to the farm and she said, make whatever decisions you want to make. So super scary. Also super exciting to be able to try whatever I felt like. So that's when we started. We started small with just some oats and radishes. That's what I would recommend for guys. Crawl before you walk. But that's taken us into, you know, planting green and planting a 13-way mix and uh, helping other guys along the way that, that have had questions. So when you kind of went back to really taking over the operation, you know, about 10 years ago or so, what was it? that kind of spurred that cover crop, you know, cause even 10 years ago, I mean, I, I feel like it's almost a little bit taboo. I know it's kind of coming more, becoming more common. I know there's some government assistance programs and some stuff going on, but you know, 10 years ago, what was it that you said, you know what, now that I've got my hands on this, I, I would like to do this. I mean, it was just a thought or was it a something that you'd heard or seen in a magazine or something, or, or how did that really start back then? Yeah. So I think it all started, you know, with my dad, we farm here in central Illinois, and it's flat, black, and beautiful everywhere, right? Yep. <laughs> Not really, but, you know, we've, we've got some good ground, and we used to do disking, and we used to do field cultivating, and we used to do chiseling in the fall, and we were having some issues with ponding, and when I was young, I took a, a bucket, and I was going to grow some pansies for my mom, mm-hmm. right, because she loves pansies. 
And so I went to the field and I dug some soil out and I put it in my bucket and I planted these seeds and I watered it and it got hard <laughs> as a rock. It healed <laughs> over. It was hard as a rock. I was so disappointed. The pansies didn't grow. But that was one of the times where I saw that we need to do something different. And I grew up, I studied biology a little bit in school. And so that's kind of where my mind goes to. And I tend to get antsy, not like to do things the traditional way. So I realized that that there's got to be a better way to do it. Uh, That's kind of a trend on your podcast. And and that was one way (laughs) that I did. So I started educating myself. I started learning. I started finding people that are smarter than me and talking to them and figuring out what I wanted to do. And once you start learning about it, it's kind of contagious. You know, they say that tillage begets tillage. I think cover crops begets cover crops because you kind of get addicted to it. So when you're looking at kind of, you mentioned some of the different blends and stuff like that, but you also mentioned that you've got to kind of walk with this deal before you start running with it. So what are some of those things that you can kind of do to get this thing started? I guess maybe, honestly, before we answer that question, do you want to talk about the biology behind it and what we're trying to do with cover crops? Or do you want to start with kind of the the first few cover crops and, and why you might look at that route? Yeah, well, if you're a new beginner or, or anybody that wants to, to do cover crops, I think you got to start with your why, right? Because cover yes. crops are a tool. They're not a silver bullet. You know, they're part of your silver shotgun, right? right? They're a piece that you can use just like tillage is, just like, you know, fungicide is. Cover crops have a purpose and it's all about you know, why you want to use them. So is it to cycle nutrients? Is it to control erosion? Is it to break up compaction? Is it weed control? Do you want to feed your biology? Uh, Do you want to break your disease cycle, sequester nitrogen? They have a ton of uses in what they do. I got into it because I wanted to cycle the nutrients and feed my biology, right? So carbon is king. Carbon is the currency in the soil. And we've done enough agriculture in our soils that we're starting to lose carbon. And the good, easy carbon to use, the labile carbon, is starting to go away and it's burning up. And so we've got carbon in our soils. They're still black, but it's the carbon that's maybe not as accessible or not as easy to get to or easy to use or as useful. Or maybe it takes a little bit more work to get to that carbon. But there's a uh, webinar by Keith Burns from Green Cover Seeds called Carbonomics. And it talks about carbon being the currency of your soil. So if you get a chance, check that out. That's very good. Very good learning. That's awesome. You know, one of the things that, you know, I actually sit here, I record a lot of these podcasts when I'm traveling at these different pro that we go to and uh, happen to be in North Platte right now. But one of the sections that we talk about is obviously nitrogen. But right away in the, the like the second nitrogen slide that I discuss is that, you know, nitrogen is extremely important as a plant essential element. But when you look at like 95% of our, you know, cash crop fertility program is carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen. And I try to relay that message to the growers that how important it is that, you know, we're sitting here and and we're buying inputs for less than 5% of our total fertility requirement because we get so much from the carbon that's provided the ground that that we get to farm and then the hydrogen and and the oxygen, you know, that we're getting hopefully... If you mix hydrogen in the right ratio with oxygen, it really helps all of us out, right? We get that water and we can go from there. So I really appreciate you bringing up kind of that carbon source. And then on top of that, really figuring out what you're looking for 
in your operation. And I know this could go so many different ways. So I don't want to break down each specific, you know, if you're looking for weed control or carbon sequestration or anything like that. But is there more of a type of species that or a particular variety that, that's kind of good overall for maybe the, the growers that are looking to kind of increase water filtration and some of that stuff, not necessarily trying to target anything specific? Is there kind of a an overall blend or, or how would you suggest moving forward for some of those growers that want to get into cover crops? I think if that's what you're looking for to break up compaction and recondition your soil and pump carbon in, I, I like the grasses. I like the cereal rye. It's really easy to use. You can plant it late in the fall. It's got a huge root mass, huge root mass. So cereal rye is great. It's very widely used. It's fairly yeah. inexpensive and, um, and it's very, very good. Annual ryegrass is another one. If you can be diligent about learning how to kill it, it's not hard to kill. You just got to do it at the right time. But I love annual ryegrass. If I'm going to put a grass in front of corn, it's going to be annual ryegrass. Okay. Uh, So real quick, talk about that a little bit. The difference between cereal and annual, What is because I know you're exactly right with that annual ryegrass. There's a specific time where you need to kill that. Do you want to share that real quick? Yeah, uh, annual ryegrass has gotten a bad rap because guys have had a hard time killing it. It's very hardy, but really it's simple. You use a pint to a quart of Roundup, and you wait till you've got three consecutive days that it's been over 45 degrees, and you spray it in the middle of the day when it's sunny. Fairly easy. (laughs) Now, to get all those together, it can be a challenge, but, you know, it can be done. And you were mentioning, uh, did you mention barley? I kind of cut you off there. Yeah, barley is something we're looking at too, ahead of corn. That's kind of the challenge is trying to put a grass ahead of corn. And because for a couple of reasons, number one is probably mostly nitrogen tie-up. So grasses are very good at sequestering nitrogen. They put on a lot of biomass. They put on probably twice as much biomass under the ground as what you see on top of the ground. So in addition to tying up carbon in your leaves, you're also tying it up in your soil. A lot of guys don't think about that when they think about dealing with the carbon penalty. but Yep. You know, we transitioned some ground from, it was going to be soybeans, so it had cereal rye on it in the fall, and we decided to put it into corn, and so we just managed the nitrogen penalty around that. So we just put 50 units of N out uh, with the weed and feed, yep. and had 50 units of N behind the planter, and didn't skip a beat. So that's another thing that I want to bring up, and there's a fantastic article, and I don't know, Brad, if you've got this, but I've got it on my phone, I've got it on my iPad, I stare at that thing constantly, and again... In the nitrogen section, I talk about that, the carbon to nitrogen ratio in cropping systems. I think it's from the NRCS, USDS. I mean, if you just Google that carbon to nitrogen ratio in cropping systems, that's a really cool article that really goes to show, you know, whether you call this, you know, because I love the, the guys that are like, oh, man, we get, quote unquote, free nitrogen from, you know, soybeans or this free nitrogen from legume crops and all this stuff. And really, ultimately, it has nothing to do with free nitrogen, but it has to do with this carbon to nitrogen ratio and the biology of the soil and stuff. So I appreciate you bringing that up. So what are some things that you need to know when you're going into... So so let's just use 2022, for example. Well, maybe this is a bad example. I, first off, would you recommend guys that are listening that still want to do something a little too late? Or do you frost seed some stuff? for 2022 but when you have that cash crop rotation so say you're going to to corn or soybeans what are some of those varieties or or kind of these blends that we can put together to go ahead of corn or ahead of soybeans what would you look at for the difference there so the later you get in the season the more 
uh, the less options you have, right? The more limited you are. I'm a big fan of getting it on early in the fall, even flying it on like you're standing soybeans, Mm -hmm. you know, just to get some growth, get those roots going, because really that's what you're wanting to do. You know, you're wanting to sink carbon in the ground. You're wanting to pull nitrogen out of the air. You're wanting to pull sunshine out of the air and feed that biology. I think that's one of the biggest things. So maybe in central Illinois, it's kind of challenging here because we want to try and get out there as soon as we can, as far as, you know, April 15th hits, you know, planters are running. (laughs) And so it's kind of hard to, you know, get something established in the springtime. One thing that may work, and this is really good for making phosphorus available, is buckwheat. It's got a 30 to 45 day life. And so when it flowers, that's when it's doing the most good. So if you wanted to put something out in the springtime, you could do that. And you may have to wait a little bit longer to either kill it or to plant your corn. But um, that may be something that, that you can try. Today's episode is brought to you by our new partnership with solar. We're saying goodbye to our electric bill. At the end of 2021, we made the decision to get solar panels. The solar company we have partnered with has made things so quick and seamless. They finished our installation on two of our projects within 24 hours. There are incredible tax benefits and no electric bill. That makes it a win-win. The company we're working with even financed the project at less than 2% interest with no money down. That makes our monthly payment $100 less than our electric bill was. You can get your free quote at www.abetterwaytofarm.com forward slash solar. Again, abetterwaytofarm.com forward slash solar. Sure. Okay. So then going back to the ideal scenario, I know we've kind of missed that window, but you know, whether you're flying it on or trying to intercede it or something like that, when to you is the perfect time to have this game plan for these, this cover crop rotation that's going to come in with your cash crop rotation? Well, it all depends on what your goals are. But the best time, my favorite thing is, is to do wheat. And then behind that, come in in the middle of summer and do your warm season grasses. You can get kind of crazy. You can get exotic and do, you know, some Sudan grass and some sun hemp and, you know, some phacelia and a lot of the things that have some really cool properties that they do to your soil. And if you're looking to recondition your soil, that's the best time to do it. You're going to get a lot of growth. You know, just like it's the best time to grow your corn, you know, it yep. grows best in, in July and August. It's also the best time to grow your covers. So if you can't do that, I'm a big fan of flying them on, like in your standing soybeans, the first, second week of September. Your third best time is to, you know, just follow the combine. We've spoken with Nathan Browsey as well. So I'm excited for that cover crop episode to air. Um, and, and Nathan, you kind of said something that Nathan said as well. And I, I don't want to speak, you know, for yourself, Brad, and your education on this matter, but to implement cover crops the right way. And I know you said it's kind of specific to the expectation or the outcome that you want from these cover crops, but what would your ideal rotation be? You know, can, can you still do the corn soybeans or, you know, so Nathan was, was mentioning that one of those years needs to be a wheat year because the, the year that you got the wheat down, then you can plant that field into covers afterwards. What are your thoughts on that rotation? Yeah, 100%. I love that. I love that. It's more of a rotation than corn soybeans. That's not really a rotation. That's just kind of switching back and forth, right? Right. So anytime you can get diversity in, you know, just like your 401k or stock retirement plan, you need to get some diversity in there. 
you know, if you've got all bonds or all stocks, then, you know, you're limited and, and you've got more risk. Whereas, you know, for your crop rotation, I think that's absolutely fantastic. And wheat's making a comeback. But if you can't do wheat, you know, there's still other things you can do in a corn soybean rotation. You know, plant your cereal rye ahead of soybeans. You can plant your legumes and broadleaves and some grasses, uh, maybe some oats that would winter kill in front of corn. So there's plenty of things you can do. But yeah, I would agree. If you can get a small grain in there, that's absolutely fantastic. Okay. One of the things that you kind of make me think about when, when you're talking about that is, and I know we're trying to talk about cover crops here, but I just wanted to mention relay crops a little bit. So what are your thoughts on relay crops and how that's similar or, or different than using cover crops? Yeah, I'm super intrigued by relay crops. And there's a lot of people that are smarter than me that are doing some great work with it. And I'm excited to see what becomes of it. I guess I'm intrigued because, again, diversity is king. If I can grow two, two crops at the same time, right, then that's absolutely fantastic. So, you know, relay cropping is basically starting out with one crop and harvesting it as another crop is growing in between the rows or alongside with it. So, you know, maybe it's, you know, barley and soybeans or, you know, there's a multitude of different options. But again, that works on the diversity part, right? So yeah. if you can have different roots in there and you can have different biology living on those roots, then that's absolutely a great thing. And and I think it's a, a one plus one equals three type thing where, you know, teamwork of these different plants is really going to help. Yeah. So I'm kind of wondering now, you know, thinking back to my education back at Iowa State and, you know, what I did in, in college, one of my biggest studies, I'm wondering if we need to relay maybe like barley and hops. I wonder if that would be a good, good company. Was that would start the process, make it a little bit easier, I suppose, to start your own brewery company, right? But <laughs> so, yeah, you know, that, to me, that's something, whether it's relay crops, to me, that that's you're trying to take two cash crops, where with cover crops, we're trying to do things more specific. And to me, I, I know that we've got to, you know, pay attention to this carbon penalty and, and some of this called it carbon sequestration earlier. But to me, when we look at a world where 2022, man, we've got nitrogen prices of, you know, anhydrous ammonia, $1,500, $1,600 a ton, potash and map and that stuff are absolutely off the charts. The biggest thing for me is understanding that there's this cycle where not only do plants take up nutrition, and, and so that's, you know, where most of us are in this industry where we're just dumping on a ton of fertilizer to go up into this plant. But you said it a little bit right when we started this, that there are times that these plants will actually cycle nutrients out of them back into the soil solution. So do you want to kind of dive into that a little bit deeper? I know that we probably do not have enough time in a day to talk about how that works, but do you kind of want to share some of your thoughts and how to to kind of take advantage of that in your cash crop system to kind of make sure that you hit the cycles where those nutrients are flowing into and out of the plants? Yeah. So the way that I think about it is that we've got all kinds of fertility out. We've all heard that, you know, you've got thousands and thousands of pounds of phosphorus and potassium in your soils in the top six inches. And that's true. And, and not all of that is accessible and, and only a small amount of that is accessible. However, if we can take a lot of that that's inaccessible and make it available to the plants, you know, what do plants put out in their roots to attract microbes? You know, acids, right? And those acids 
help break apart some of those aggregates in the soil of the clay. So it's it's kicking off potassium, it's kicking off phosphorus, and it's making that more available. So roots are the key to all of this. The more roots you have in the ground, the more carbon is going to be in the ground, the more sugar is going to be in the ground, the more weak acids are going to be in the ground. Just creating this environment where, you know, things work a whole lot better. It's like uh, lubrication. I also think of the example, I use analogies all the time because that's how things make sense to me. But, yep. you know, if you have two different buffets, right? So if you have a Mother's Day buffet at the golf club, you know, what are you going to get there? You're going to get a huge spread where there's something for everybody, whether it's ham or turkey or omelets or whatever. And then you've probably been to a buffet in a small town uh, at the Chinese buffet at 745 at night. And it's probably a little bit skimpier rations there, right? And you may not find what you want and you may come out a little bit hungry and you're not going to be as fulfilled. So if we can make the soil like that Mother's Day buffet, then our plants are going to be happier. They're going to be more efficient and they're going to do better. We'll be able to capitalize on these high prices versus the high fertilizer prices. Again, I keep kind of going back to ProAg, but that's one of the things that I talk about as well is that wouldn't it be interesting from the guy that's selling the fertilizer to come up to you and say, hey, you know, if we actually put a better plan together, there might be a time where we wouldn't need to purchase synthetic fertilizer. To me, you know, that's a novel concept. And I joked that back when I was at the co-op that I would have got fired. You know, my boss would have killed me if he would have been like, dude, why are you going around telling people that they don't need to buy fertilizer? But we absolutely, it's going to take a ton of work. I mean, you know that as well, that trying to do some of this stuff, it it takes work and it takes time and it's hard, but we can absolutely get to a point where we're able to release some of this nutrition beforehand. And a lot of us already kind of do it. I mean, nobody puts enough fertilizer down for the entire crop that the the entire crop, you know, whether it's corn, wheat, beans, whatever, uh, that it doesn't utilize anything from the soil. I mean, that's common. We just don't think, you know, we put down a hundred pounds of map, that that's all the plant needs when that's not the truth. You know, that plant needs way more than that. So to me, that that's something that absolutely cherish is not only if we can increase our soil health, but to do things, you know, use products. If you have to use a synthetic fertilizer, use one that's high quality, low salt, or, you know, watch the chlorine content. You know, chloride's huge. Nobody talks about it enough. I know Rod did a fantastic podcast, a couple fantastic podcasts with Dr. Mulvaney from the University of Illinois as well, kind of talking about some of that stuff. And to me, that's absolutely critical that we've got to utilize a cover crop rotation the correct way. And we've got to implement it in a way that is going to be mutually beneficial to the cash crop that we have as well. So I know I kind of jump on a soapbox and kind of ranted for a little bit, but as we get this conversation wrapped up, that the growers that are listening to this thing, what are some of the key things that you could recommend to them to get them started? Or where do they go for resources? What can they do to implement these practices? Yeah, good question. Because that's the question I get, you know, is that look, a lot of this stuff is new. Where do I start? How do I not screw up and lose the farm or <laughs> yeah. you know, lose thousands of dollars? You know, so I would encourage you to find someone local, someone in your area. And you can always uh, reach out to the Better Way to Farm or to me, and and we can put you in touch with somebody like that. Find somebody local who is trustworthy, who's done it before, and who does a good job. There's also a ton of Facebook groups that you can just go on there and view and look at what people say. And some of the information is good, and some of the information (laughs) is not so good, but... 
you know, you can glean through there and pick and choose, you know, you can do your own vetting. So yes, um, that's another good way. And then your local soil water conservation district, you know, that's what they're there for. They're there to help. And there's programs out there, whether it's, you know, reduced crop insurance, or there's a ton of programs available. I'm, I'm not sure which ones are still open, but call your soil water conservation district or your NRCS and say, look, I want to try some stuff. Here's my goals. How would I get there? And chances are there's probably a grant or some money there to help you learn. Because we're talking, Brad, we got to throw a plug out for you. So you mentioned it before, and I appreciate that about reaching out to us. But what about yourself? If, if people are interested or, or they're curious to chat with you more, I know this is going to open up a, a can of worms a little bit because this goes all over. But, but how would people get a hold of you if they have any questions on how to do that? Yeah, so you can call me directly. My phone number is 309-472-9372. Or the name of my company is called Seedonomy. So you can go to www.seedonomy.com. Check out what we do there. And uh, there's a contact information there as well. Fantastic. I absolutely love that logo, by the way. And I'm jealous of that name. That was very creative. My business name is not as creative. So I can appreciate that. (laughs) Thanks. Well, Brad, thank you very much for the time, man. We absolutely greatly appreciate the conversation. Thank you for joining us today. Do hope that you have a very successful and very fruitful uh, 2022. Awesome, Tyler. Appreciate the opportunity and I hope you do as well. Thank you, my friend. We hope that you enjoyed this cover crop episode and that we do ask that you please rate us. I'm going to mention with five stars. Review our content and drop a comment on some future episodes that you might like to see. We also ask that you follow A Better Way to Farm on Facebook. Like and share that page with family, friends, or anyone you may know that might find value in what we do. And as always, we hope that you have a better day. A better way to farm.com. You're listening on the Verbal Crowd Network. Find more great shows at verbalcrowd.com.